Well, yes, it's another episode of the Under the Bar podcast. It's mm. very exciting to be here in the Eagle Waves radio studios in the, the heart of Sydney. It's mm. silly season here. There's people everywhere. Very silly season. Uh, the Christmas shopping, cortisol mm. increasing, the atmosphere is left outside, mm. and we just focus on the confines well, of this little studio. Our, our listeners, Tom, w- wouldn't know that we both have our uh, thongs on. You've got yes. the... the very high, advanced, latest technology, cortisol reducing <laughs> thongs with actual grass on the on the, yeah. the the. You're actually standing on grass. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. And you've just got and the I standard got, uh, poo brown. Yeah, they have heavy harness, but um, but look, they they, they they do a similar job in reducing cortisol. Mm. So I'm happy to be on board. And look, hopefully over the next hour or so, we can uh, reduce cortisol for our um, yes. very loyal and yes. uh, much loved listenership mm. and downloadership out there. It's great mm. that we have these people that like to tune in and listen to the podcast. It amazes yeah. us every time, Rodan, when. You know, at these courses and things we do, people come up yes. and actually say they listen to our show. I know. It's and quite I, funny. It's funny. Like, uh, I think I've said to you before, like, I'll, uh, at the, the Lyft Performance Center where I uh, where I uh, assess my uh, competitors, you know, yes. I'll be sort of, you know, you know, I'm like very surly when I'm training and, you know, don't talk to me. Or, well, you can talk to me if I talk to you, but otherwise, you know, don't, don't even look my way. But I'll, I'll get the nod and a wave from quite a few uh, I don't know who they are, but yeah. uh, then uh, I find out later that they're oh you know listen to the podcast. It was I heard you say blah blah blah, yeah. and I'm like oh yeah cool. But uh, <laughs> until I finish yeah. training, then I'm then I'm all there. Quite so happy to uh, exactly yeah share yeah. a coffee, take a selfie. You know? Unless of course I'm, they're an attractive bird, and then the, oh, yes. you'll stop mid set. Yeah, the yeah. tree bird. Look out! I'm, oh, I'm all over it. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay. So uh, on today's program, we're going to go program. through um, the second part of Lucid Luke. Groundskeeper mm. Willie's mm. Uh, wonderful breakdown of the recent mTOR study, mm. and he'll be looking at the amino acids, mechanical stimuli, and supplementation today. Okay, very good, very exciting. Which is exciting stuff. It's a complex system, mm. um, and the more exposure we have to these things, the more it kind of yeah. s- sinks in. Well, ho- hopefully the, the listeners are the same as us because we're we're sort of vaguely getting it now. Mm. So it's Starting exciting. To get it. We understand. Interesting little sidebar: when Tippy Toes uh, Christian Tobito was mm. out here for his course I was talking to him and we were sort of chatting about the mTOR thing and he said you know what it's interesting I think I might have referenced you actually and mm. uh, uh, talking about your how your the rat bag at the back training goals had shifted ah, yes. as you've aged because he's a little bit older as well what are you looking uh, at me early you 30s yes early 30s yeah thank you but he did make the point you know whilst we do spend so much time trying to stimulate these mTOR pathways mm. for maximal hypertrophy mm. and growth and that's great if that's your goal for longevity, it's not actually the best thing to be doing. If you have a slightly older client, then stimulating and maximizing mTOR activation is not actually the best for anti-aging. Because just because mm. of the high cellular turnover, so mm. a bit of a different uh, pros and cons. A different paradigm for that older demographic. For that older demographic. But yeah. I also referenced, uh, I think I may have said it on the, the, the podcast, but a uh, conversation I had with... Uh, uh, a friend of the program, Dr. Isratel. Oh, yes. And uh, he, he, you know, at the age of uh, <coughs> the early <coughs> 30s, I was saying, you yes. know, like, ah, you know, I still want to get jacked this and do that and go and do hypertrophy. And he sort of rolled his eyes and said, look, you know, someone, you know, reaching that uh, <coughs> mid-30 uh, demographic, you know, the, the goals should really change. And, and you know, lugging about that 110, whatever it is, kilos is probably not a really good thing when you're starting to age. And, mm-hmm. and actually, <coughs> late 30s. Yeah, but, but actually, um, pretty much what, uh, echoing what uh, Tippy Toe said, you know, you change your, 
you change your um, focus and, 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 and it's not so much about being, uh, you know, jacked off your head and, and, you know, waddling about the place, you know, <laughs> you know, which is cool. And I still want to do that as much as I can. But, but he, he was, he was suggesting, you know, uh, he even brought up the sea bomb. He dropped the sea bomb at me and, and said CrossFit, you know, something like that. And, uh, but more uh, cardiovascular element to the training, mm. more about uh, f- health and vitality rather than the you know, absolute muscle yes. mass, you know. Yep. And, and it would ring true with what you said with, uh, in regards to, to tippy toes. You yeah. know? So we'll have Lucid Luke on from Lucid Health Coaching mm. to uh, go through part two of his mTOR breakdown <coughs> early 40s. Mm. Um, right. What? Now, to uh, contact the podcast, you can go to underthebarpodcast.com. Very slick-looking website. Very you can, slick. Uh, there's email things. There's speak pipes there. There's speak pipes there, and we'll, we'll get to one of those in a moment. If you'd like to lay your own pipe, you yep. can uh, click on the link there. It'll mm-hmm. open up a little window. Mm-hmm. You've got 90 seconds to record a voice message and then uh, check uh, it, review it. Flush it and flush bombs it away. And bombs away. We'll, re- we'll receive us. it and we'll address that we'll, on the we'll air. We'll receive it with open arms. You know, we'll... we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll <laughs> Tub girl. Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> nice. your homework, everyone. Nice one, Cam. Okay. So you can do that. Uh, to learn more about Rawdon, just Google the Dubois Method. Yep, elusive. Facebook and Instagram, he's all over it. If you all don't know him, it. been living under a rock and this is the first yeah. time you listen to this podcast, well, yes. you know, there's a... There's plenty of selfies and uh, coffee cups and, and exactly. smiling, cheesy smiles. Yeah, and you can go to tomhewitt.com.au to um, see my website, which is pretty much in the same place it's been yes. for quite a while, but uh, Look, there's new stuff coming. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's have a sting. Thanks, Cam. So we had good old first-time pipe layer was Costa last week, yes. which was fantastic, and we've got another one that's come through. And I'm not surprised these. Two, this is from Connor and Tom, and these boys have actually um, um, these boys have um, sent a few emails and written reviews, and they're proven to be very advanced polywafflers in their own right, oh. Rawdon. Oh. So um, well, look, I was privy to a few of your clientele at the uh, recent <laughs> uh, Christian Maurice seminar, and my God. I thought I thought I was good. Yeah. I, I know you're good, but these guys, <laughs> wow, they're good. So yeah. much polywaffle. So much polywaffle. So mm. we've got a little speak pipe here from Connor and Tom. Cam, if you could play that for us. Yep, bombs away. Bombs away. <laughs> hey, Tom and Rodden. Um, this is Connor and Tom here, and we've got a quick question today. So just wondering how you like to um, balance frequency, intensity, and volume throughout an intensification and accumulation mesocycle. All right, cheers, guys. Mm. Well, I mean, I just just got a quick question for you guys. Like, if you could spend the next three days answering that for us. And was that Tom or was it Connor? We don't know who to fire abuse back at. (laughs) Easy questions. (laughs) Like, how long is a piece of string? Something like that. How long is that piece of string? Well, look, it's a great question. Um, so we're going to tackle this. Uh, we actually made a, a couple of notes. Our listeners will... Uh, just not- because legitimately, Rawdon, you could have a three-day seminar basically exploring this and breaking it all down because there's, mm. uh, this is, I guess, the art of programming to mm. a, a large degree and uh, maybe they're just trying to smoke us out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, these boys actually know anything. Think, yeah. yeah. But let's do our best and just... Initially, let's okay. cover a few of the, the concepts involved here. So he mentioned a, a mesocycle. Yeah. So and not to be confused with a meso soup. <laughs> it's nothing to do with it, Cam. He was making notes. No, not the soup. 
So um, far away, meso. So and we've got micro, meso, and macro cycles. <laughs> and you could just call them a meso cycle and, and not have the meso <laughs> reference, but uh, whatever. Do you want to give us a little breakdown of yeah, yeah, of cool. what this means to you? So yeah. uh, the micro, micro uh, is the smallest. Micro, micro. meaning small. So that's uh, usually the the seven day block. Yep. Um, or it could be longer, but but basically a rotation of, of, of one workouts. rotation of, of a yeah. particular mesocycle program. Yep. And then the, the mesocycle is that uh, program essentially, the three-week, four-week, five-week, six-week, eight-week, whatever it is. The, yep. the current program is, is, is the mesocycle, the microcycles within that program. program. Yep. In that weekly or... or uh, one rotation, full rotation of the, the all the workouts would be the micro cycle, and then beyond that is the the macro cycle, which is a combination of uh, several meso cycles to to build a, a macro cycle. It could be like a, a six month uh, macro cycle or, or a twelve month macro cycle, or you know, powerlifters usually have a like a three month. Uh, I think uh, you know the hypertrophy and, and peaking and, and all that type of stuff. A little bit uh, foreign to me the the powerlifting side of things, but yep. but yeah, the, the the macro, the largest uh, meso, the smaller. Four, five, six, up to eight week, whatever it is. Yep. Of the one program, the micro that that seven day rotation uh, of workouts. rotation of workouts for yep. that, that given program. Okay, that's great. So they were referring to uh, a meso cycle or the program. Basically referring to the program. The program. Yep. Okay. Now the I guess the variables that they mentioned there were volume, intensity, and frequency. Mm. Most of our listeners, I'm sure, would be familiar with those concepts, but I I guess they are the three variables that you can play around with in a program yeah but it's as paul carter was on the program and talking about this you know these three variables it's as much as you'd love to have a program which hits them all high intensity heavy weights with high frequency and high volume hmm. the reality is you can't get away with that so you've got to try and pick a couple that you focus on for a program and work those into the mix somehow and, yeah. and when they made their reference to accumulation and intensification yeah. i guess a lot of our listeners would utilize that in the this concept of undulating periodization yep which is that model where you would vary between a, a phase of accumulation where the focus would be more based around the volume in hypertrophy yeah generally speaking yeah increasing the volume for that phase and then the next block would be intensification where the focus would be more on higher intensity or heavier weight heavy, yep. heavier loads and so I guess picking volume, intensity, and frequency in the context of an undulating periodization model is, I guess they want to sort of pick our brains on how we do those various things. Mm. So before we sort of get balls deep into it, another factor that will come into this, Rawdon, is the stimulus recovery adaptation cycle, which yes. we have spoken about on the program before. Yep. And the SRA curve or cycle will be slightly different and will vary from an accumulation to an intensification phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the accumulation, like you mentioned, like what we mentioned earlier, will be a, a main focus there would be hypertrophy and yeah. high volumes the driver uh, or the main focus for a, a, an accumulation phase and then intensity is the main focus uh, for an intensification phase. And, and like you mentioned, the SRA curves are going to be different for those two phases. Mm. And, uh, stimulus recovery adaptation or SRA is basically the... I, I guess when we 
look at it, it's it's the time it takes to recover back to uh, to baseline or improve improvement on the the previous session. So yes. we, we we train that part of the body. Yep. Uh, then it's going to fatigue, and then it's going to adapt, and then uh, and that length is is essentially the SRA curve. So initially there'll be a period of fatigue. And then given enough time, the body will recover from that, that stimulus because essentially that's what everything is. We, uh, we, we put a stimulus on the body yep. and then the body will adapt to that stimulus. But that's what SRA curve is, is breaking down basically. Yep. And the, the difference is with a... Um, there's basically three main... I mean, there, there would be more, but, but to dumb it down a little bit. And this is basically... Um, uh, so the SRA, like a, something like a, a skill-based... Um, like playing golf or uh, shooting hoops or you know even the 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 soccer or the rugby you know those skill-based sessions they have very uh, very short sra curve meaning you can do them you know a few hours apart and they're mm. going to be actually recovered and you can actually perform at the same uh, intensity you did a few hours earlier mm. and see an improvement yeah you yeah. can have an adaptation to that 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 session earlier because it's a skill-based uh, stimulus basically yep. And then, uh, so that's a, just a few hours. So those you can have, and weightlifting would, uh, uh, not the accessory work where we're lifting heavy and, mm. and, and doing all that type of stuff, but like a, a skill-based uh, where we do lifting singles or whatever in uh, weightlifting, that would, you could do weightlifting in the morning, weightlifting in the evening, and that's so that our listeners can put the two, the concept together. Or they might do like uh, sprints in the morning and then weights in the evening because the SRA curve for the, for the sprints for a you know, rugby player or something like that is 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 much shorter, and then the 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 weights obviously would, would be what I'm going to talk about now. So the next would be the next uh, longest uh, SRA curve would be uh, hypertrophy. Yep. So when we, you know, anywhere from um, 48 to 72 hours, I think, you know, four days has been the longest they've sort of, uh, you know, in the research seen that uh, it's taken the body from a hypertrophy stimulus, not a, the next one we're going to talk about with the, the, the high intensity of the nervous system work, mm-hmm. this can be much longer, but but generally speaking, that, that 48 to 72, really from 24 to 72 hours, from one day to, to three days, three days. Um, you know, smaller parts of the body, more like the, the 24 hours, bigger parts uh, might be close to that 72 hours. And interestingly, the more advanced the individual, the, the shorter, shorter the SRA yeah. curve for hypertrophy, just because yeah. they're so used to the stimulus, it's very hard to grow new tissue for uh, for a very advanced athlete. But beginners, they can actually go uh, beyond that. Seven. They're more like the four days or even a whole week, you know, like a uh, squat for the first time and not be able to move for, for seven days, you know, before they can actually squat again. So yep. that's hypertrophy. Uh, again, stimulus, boom, fatigue, adaptation. So... 24 to, to 72 hours and then obviously the like I mentioned is the the intensity work or you know lifting uh, uh, high percentages of your 1RM but the essentially that's nervous system work and that would be that the hypertrophy would have been that accumulation phase that, that Tom and Connor yes, were talking about referring to. and then the intensity work would be more along this uh, nervous system type work that I'm talking about and that that's much longer that can uh, depending on the uh, you know the percentage of the 1RM that you're lifting at but that can be, you know, multiple days. That might be four or five days before you can actually, uh, the nervous system has recovered. And the more advanced the individual with, with nervous system work, I mean, that could be up to, uh, you know, a couple of weeks uh, potentially with, with some of those elite uh, powerlifters. Yes. You know, they'll deadlift, you know, once every couple of weeks simply because the nervous system would be so fatigued. It takes that long to recover. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the fascinating thing is that over that period of time, it almost seems nonsensical that you would actually get better at it having such a huge break from yes. it, but that's the reality of it. And yeah. it's quite a juxtaposition when you think about how training age contributes 
to recovery from those two stimuli. The beginner who's had no experience has this really long SRA curve mm. for uh, volume or hypertrophy training. Mm. And the more advanced athlete has this super long SRA curve for uh, intensification where a beginner would, doesn't really have any curve, can't yeah. hit a curve. Yeah, well, I mean, the funny thing is though, all the gains that uh, that uh, initially occur, well, strength anyway, is, is not because they've got new contractile tissue. It's, it is all nervous Just system skill, work. Yeah. So they're basically the three uh, the three curves, very, very yep. short, but anything school-based, uh, technique-based, and then... Um, Hypertrophy, 24 to 72, and then you know 72 plus potentially yep. for um, nervous system work. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I think we've explained the various uh, concepts involved in answering this question. Mm. Nice job. Nice work, mate. We're going well here, keeping things together yeah. quite, quite nicely. Airtight. So now I guess the next thing to factor in, Rawdon, is that you and I both have different demographics, yep. and so we'll address these in two quick little goes here. So for yeah. me... The way I factor all this in will depend on the client, their goal, how often they're training, so the frequency they're actually going to train, and their level of training age. And to put a more of a blanket thing over the top of what I do, the old undulating periodization model where there's a distinct accumulation into a distinct intensification phase mm. becomes a little bit blurred with me. So I tend to yep. have shorter intensification phases where they're focusing on developing strength and then the accumulation block will last for probably two to even three mesocycles where the, the volume will build a little bit for the first program, get a little bit bigger in the middle and then come back down the other side. So what I have found with my clientele is that changing between accumulation and intensification too drastically from block to block tends to have no real solidification of the qualities built from that previous phase so if they spend a bit of time building some strength i don't like to go too far away from that until they've legitimately gotten stronger increased their ability to have a six rep max in a chin-up an overhead press a squat a deadlift and all those big lifts once that's locked in a bit then i can start focusing on getting more work more volume into the person but if i take the foot off the pedal too quickly the the muscle mass that they've built in that first four or five weeks tends to zip away back down to baseline if i don't keep a reasonable amount of volume going in there to really lock in the muscle mass as well so my blocks of accumulation and intensification for my clientele tend to sort of bleed into each other and last a, a little bit longer and will and you know as much as i try and map things out in advance it will always depend on what the scales are doing what their body fat's doing you know how compliant they've been with their nutrition whether they've had to work whether the stress levels whether how long it actually um or how i decide from phase to phase which direction to keep going but um i don't make as distinct blocks from accumulation to intensification as maybe what i used to you know three or four years ago mm. so that's basically how i would blend in the or how I work the periodization in terms of frequency and, and Rodan you'll have a lot more to say on this with what you do with your guys when I'm in the middle of those accumulation phases and the volume is higher that's when I will have a, a higher frequency of body parts and those for the guys particularly like to fluff up the upper body they'll be doing two lower body workouts one quad dominant one posterior chain dominant three upper body workouts where there'll be some meat and nuts at the start and then they'll be hitting bias tries and delts on all three of those days and then as they come down the other side and get back down in towards closer towards another intensification phase, the frequency will step back a little bit and the intensity will slightly start to creep up a little bit as well. So it's like a, a blancmange of um, uh, training variables and, and how yeah. I manipulate them over time. 
Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, that's obviously, like you said, you've uh, you found that that works really well and it makes uh, perfect sense. And I would agree. I mean, that undulating periodization model, I think uh, if you think about where that's um, predominantly, it's more along the lines of um, working with strength athletes where, you know, you never want to go too far away from intensity. You know, the thing would be the, the main consideration if you're spending more time doing you know what my clientele do is is you probably get weaker because you're not focusing on strength or you're not continuing to have that that element of strength so i think um if you know it is the likes of um christian Tobito or poliquin that are always working with the athletic population that always have to maintain a, a certain level of strength yeah. and it makes sense to never deviate uh too like what you're doing too many uh, mesocycles away from that that strength work and, yeah. and that nervous system work and it makes perfect sense because the athlete always has to have uh, although they might do a block of, of hypertrophy it'll be more functional hypertrophy and, and it still has to have that it has to be uh, you know a working hypertrophy that's going to have a purpose and yes. improve performance so very true I think that's where um, you know the undulating periodization now if, if the demographic you're working with is gen pop then that would make, for as far as I'm concerned, perfect sense. Uh, most of them do want to develop some... They come in, yeah, I want to get a bit stronger, and I want to put some muscle on. Well, that undulating periodization model seems to, I think, uh, in the classical sense, you, you never really get super, super strong, but you never get really, really jacked either. Because you're never spending long enough in, in, in a, a particular type of, of stimulus to get really, really good at one or the other. So it's that awesome one size fits all for general population that's, that's yes. probably what Tom and Connor are talking about it's fantastic and I encourage it yep. if however you're, you're uh, like uh, my demographic where I don't really care you know when they stand on stage if they're piss weak and they you know it, it means nothing to me they're, yes. they're not and obviously I keep a you know some low rep work there that I'll talk about but um, but it doesn't really matter how strong the individual is when they're standing on stage mm-hmm. as long as they look super strong and super jacked it, it doesn't really matter how they get there so I guess the main thing that I've changed of late uh, again you referenced what you did a few years ago but I guess I'm gravitating more and more uh, towards just hypertrophy that's all I'm interested in so mm-hmm. I find that I am spending uh, n- and again I used to use the undulating periodization I still vaguely have higher intensity and the next phase will be slightly less intensity so there are elements of of intensity throughout my mesocycles but um, it would be solely focused on hypertrophy so everything I, I, I write up has has to uh, tick the, the the parameters of, of hypertrophy yeah and a lot of it's influenced by um, you know dr. Israel who I've, who I've referenced before but but others as well like uh, the guy I'm mentoring with Broderick Chavez I, 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 uh, touch, you know learning a lot from him as well but they're common themes yes but, mm. but basically yeah so I guess my f- programs fundamentally uh, it's all just hypertrophy so the periodization it, it's, it's really just one hypertrophy program into the next into the next into the next so what varies what things I take into consideration is managing fatigue over time and we, we mentioned this uh, at the start and um, so each mesocycle uh, would be generally I'm working with a five-week block at the moment and on that fifth week I, I, I deload so I drop intensity and, and volume both down in that in that uh, fifth week but the intensity and volume would be dictated very specifically building up throughout the the mesocycle so the four weeks prior to the deload would be uh, an accumulation of increasing volume uh, and also uh, hitting certain uh, intensities that I've specified uh, according to their 1RM so it's a little bit complicated but certain uh, intensity that's going to elicit the the most hypertrophy for the individual um, 
So the volume uh, is fundamentally the, the, the driver of hypertrophy. And we mentioned that at the start with accumulation intensification, accumulation phase or, or inverted commas of hypertrophy phase. Volume is the, is the, the key and intensification by intensity or maximal loads are the key. So sticking with that theme, the volume is, is what I push up. Um, so managing fatigue over time and then I will take a, a, a longer what we'd call a, a potentiation phase and, and, and take the foot off the gas pedal, take uh, the individual away from hypertrophy training after three to four meso, five week uh, meso cycles of hypertrophy, uh, I would take them away from hypertrophy, put them into a specific intensification phase, uh, drastically reduce volume. So it'll still look like a, uh, a deload week, but for four or five weeks, uh, a full mesocycle of deloading, allowing the body to uh, recover from all the stresses of, of you know, balls to the wall type, uh, well, it would be a accumulation Because they've just done about 15 weeks of big solid training. Yeah, yeah. hypertrophy training, yeah. definitely. A lot, a lot of volume there. And um, so I give them... Uh, a uh, five-week block uh, where they um, not only do they help with all the niggling little uh, injuries and, and, and uh, things like that, allow them to recover. Calories are, are, are there, uh, similar to a, a deload uh, week where there's enough energy to, for them to recover, slight surplus ideally. Um, but also over time what, what happens, and, and, and it's sort of exaggerated uh, with an advanced individual, but the, the actual stimulus for hypertrophy, the anabolic signaling just gets less and less and less. doesn't mm. matter. You can still be ticking the boxes that I'll talk about in a second for hypertrophy, but you know the deload week takes in that into consideration. That's a, another concept that you're addressing with that deload week and that fifth week sort of taking the foot off the gas pedal in regards to hypertrophy, resensitizing some of those anabolic uh, pathways. So then mm. when you ramp things back up into the next mesocycle of hypertrophy, you've, you've, uh, you're resensitized to that hypertrophy stimulus on a very a slight level by that deload week yeah. as well as the week gives the body you a little bit, but it's not like having this, this nice little five week block, is yeah, it? Yeah, so that, that is that exaggerated. Uh, when we go back to hypertrophy, that another uh, four, of, uh, four mesocycles or so, or that 20 week block of hypertrophy, uh, or 15 to 20 week, then theoretically we should be uh, more sensitive to the very stimulus of hypertrophy and it should be new again. Mm. So that's the other reason what I like to do. But that's managing fatigue over time. Uh, the programs look similar, but they all uh, tick the boxes of hypertrophy. Uh, and that is uh, having a, a, a stimulus of mechanical tension. Yep. So there will be some movements, bigger movements at the start, uh, which would uh, tick the box of mechanical tension, which is one of the, the Alan... Uh, Brad Schoenfeld recently did a, a research paper and, and basically uh, highlighted the, the main drivers of hypertrophy. And we mentioned this on the podcast before, but mechanical tension being one and metabolic stress being another. And they're the two variables that I fundamentally use with, with every program. And I let those two variables be the influencing factors combined with variation between mesocycle to mesocycle. And then just the rep ranges uh, varying slightly and tempos uh, movement slightly. But... but Fundamentally, it's that mechanical tension, that metabolic stress are the two things that I'll always have in, in all of my programs. And, you know, if you look at yours, you'd say, yeah, well, i got those two. So I'm covered in regards to mechanical tension. So you have some heavy shit at the start and some lighter shit at the end uh, with lots of metabolic stress. So that's the, the, the two key things that I'll always have in every program. I will have adequate frequency taken into the parts of the body. So every uh, part of the body should be minimum twice a week for hypertrophy which like I mentioned earlier, the SRA curves are, are much shorter 
then a nervous system intensification phase. So for my uh, demographic, just chasing hypertrophy, I've got a, a, every part of the body uh, twice a week minimum. Um, but realistically, you know, it's probably more like uh, three or four times a week you could actually train each part of the body, certainly mm. for someone that's intermediate to advanced because they, they actually recover quite quickly. Quite quickly, yeah. So even high frequency, but minimum twice a week. Uh, definitely with those smaller muscle groups, the SRA curves are, you know, 24 hours almost for, for a medial delt. Um, so definitely higher frequency for those parts of the body. Um, I'll also look at what they need to prioritize and that will um, have a higher frequency for that part of the body. Again, looking at the, I guess in my demographic, I tell them how many days they're training and it's usually six days in a, in a seven day period. I like the three on one off, three on one off type rotation. So uh, three different workouts, a day off and then another three day off. And those six different workouts are different. Um, I also take into consideration the total number of sets that they, they, they're doing for that micro cycle. So um, again, for our listeners, ballpark figures, beginners generally uh, have less uh, sets, the more advanced, more sets. So uh, beginners between 10 and uh, 20 sets per body part per micro cycle or per week. Uh, intermediate, uh, you've got 15 to 25 sets per, per body part per week and, and the more advanced the individual, 20 to 30 uh, plus uh, for someone that's more advanced. So that might look like you might have uh, you know leg day twice. So you might say it's a beginner and you've got 20 sets to work with. It might be five back squats, uh, three sets of, of walking lunges and, and, and three sets of uh, uh, leg press uh, for a quad dominant day. So you got your, uh, what's that, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So you've got 11 sets there. Then the second workout would be a similar number of sets. And then your two, uh, you've hit your 20 sets per, per body parts. So that's how you would split it up. Yep. Uh, high frequency. Rather than having, you know, you might have leg day, then back day, then chest day, then, then, then arms day. You're just missing out on, on potential hypertrophy because the SRA curves are, are going to be, be so much shorter. Yeah. And, and you could find you actually uh, will, will lose muscle mass because it'll actually go back to baseline and then start losing it. So remember, muscle is a user loser. If the stimulus is not there, it'll atrophy mm. to a point uh, that, it, that it can, it, it's just trying to survive. So if yep. we keep putting that stimulus, it'll have to adapt to it. So set, sets per week, that would influence the volume that I give my individuals. But um, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the sort of fundamentals that I look at, Tom. It's that frequency uh, per body per, per week, minimum twice a week for every part of the body, using uh, mechanical tension as a driver for hypertrophy, using uh, metabolic stress, so higher repetitions, lots of lactic acid, metabolite-type training, me- mechanical tension at the start of the workout, metabolic stress towards the end. Uh, anywhere from four to eight exercises per workout, eight being someone that's uh, quite advanced, but usually on average about six exercises per workout. Um... I look at managing fatigue over time. So in that mesocycle, I make sure we manage fatigue. And then that potentiation phase, every three or four mesocycles, that 15 to 20 week block of of pure hypertrophy will take an intensification phase, drop volume right down, put the intensity up and actually give the guys a bit of a challenge, set some PRs, have some fun with intensity work, then go back to volume, really Mm. love that. Uh, The other thing that I would point out that the the drivers of hypertrophy, like a a set of volume, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, great, tick, tick. But then I also, you need to um, provide a a stimulus for the body to actually adapt to. So throughout the mesocycle, the the principle of overload will be used. So weights will increase throughout the mesocycle and volume will increase throughout the mesocycle. So sets 
at the start of the mesocycle for uh, the first rotation of the workout would be less. Uh, say it's a, a back squat, it might be three sets, and then uh, week two it might be three sets, then week three it might be four sets, and then week four it might go to five sets. So if you're looking at that concept you referred to as the total amount of sets per body part, yep. you might start it, slightly below threshold and build towards that maximum amount by the time correct. they finish that. I gave you numbers there, 20 to 30 or yep. t- uh, 15 to 25, so it might be close to 15 at the start of the matter so I can creep up. And I guess fundamentally what you're trying to get with each individual uh, is close to their maximum recoverable volume. So how much volume you can cram into that individual to tick the boxes of hypertrophy. Mm. Look at all those drivers of hypertrophy like I mentioned. And, um, you know, MRV is influenced by uh, the training age, definitely. How, how big the individual is, a big dude generating yep. a ton of force, obviously they're gonna have to have less volume than a, than a, a female or a, or a smaller individual. Um, lifestyle, you mentioned lifestyle influencing your program, so the, you know, are they sleeping, do they have a really stressful job? If stress is already at the ceiling, there's no real point putting a ton of uh, training volume stress on top of them, so you get, mm. that would have to uh, factor in MRV. Maximum recovery volume will, will actually fluctuate up or down depending on where they are. Yes. Um, but the trick is to, to, to use those fundamentals, use those sets per week, sets per workout, get that frequency set up, tick the boxes for the SRE curves, manage fatigue, and then just, just adjust it uh, back and forth, ebb and flow. And, and you'll sort of, after a mesocycle or two, realize how much uh, the individual can, can, can handle. Can handle, yes. And you'll know if you've overtrained them or, or it's not overtraining, more overreaching because they'll, they'll hit the wall. Uh, prior to that that deload coming so maybe like two two rotations in there you know the numbers are starting to creep backwards the, the joints are starting to flare up they're not sleeping uh, they're pissy all the time all the mm. classical signs of being overreached might have happened too soon so you, you set the volume up too high they're doing too many sets the intensity maybe uh, for the mechanical tension was too high um, so and you just adjust accordingly, but you know that, yep. that that's the sign of a good coach. Set something up, mm. adjust it, personalize it, individualize it, and and the other thing I will just add there, Tom, is the the MRV will be influenced by if you have higher intensity work. Generally, the MRV total amount of volume that you can do will be less. So if it is a, a, a mesocycle where you're focusing on four to sixes uh, being the lower uh, reps that you're having for mechanical tension at the start, then generally that mesocycle will have less volume than a mm. than the next mesocycle, which might have eight to 10 reps being the lowest uh, rep range or, or percentage of 1RM that you're hitting. So that could have more volume yeah. because the intensity, think- It's due uh, to that uh, SRA, you know, SRA that we referenced at the start. Yeah, yeah just so you, you're reaching your threshold faster with the higher intensity yeah, that, just, that you have. Because it's, it's not, uh, it's not that, intensity work can't build muscle it's it can and it works really well and individuals that are a fast twitch dominant they're going to go really well uh, and that's why I can get a little bit confusing out there but the, but the issue is volume is the driver of hypertrophy, hypertrophy that's yeah. cool do your triples do your 180 kilo back squat but yeah. Okay, we've got to tick the bit box to frequency. Okay, yes. we know that if you are able to do that this many times a week for this many sets, then it'll be the perfect program. It'll be the perfect program. Yeah. But you, you get you write someone up a program, eight sets of three, good. You've got enough sets in there. You got a, a good number of repetitions. They do one workout. Go, whoa, that was that was effing tough. Okay, next workout, upper body. Whoa, I'm spent. And then they they in the ambulance heading home. You know, to to the hospital or a wheelchair heading home. You've you've ruined them. So it's not that intensity can't build muscle. It's just that you can't generally speaking get the volume in to drive hypertrophy 
mesocycle to mesocycle to mesocycle. They're just going to break. If they yeah. don't break within the first week, they're going to break pretty soon. Or they're just not uh, lifting at the desired intensity. And yes. really, it's not intensification yeah. phase. So they're the types of variables that, that, that I like to use, Tommy, um, and, and where I'm sort of gravitating towards. And I really find that programming side of things immensely fascinating. And that's where I spend mm. a lot of time and, and a lot of the consults I'm doing with all these guys in the industry are uh, seeing how they program and, and, and Piecing it all together. Yeah. yeah. Because and this is the, I guess for Connor and Tom, the takeaway point is that there's a, a difference between what you can actually apply and, and what is best on paper. Mm. And um, the benefit that Ruin that you have in your scenario is that uh, you determine the paper. It, do you know what I mean? They're, they're signing 100%. up for you 100% on board yes. and you have the... Uh, open slather, man. The open slather to sit down and obviously mm. you need to factor in those lifestyle factors and how stressed yep. the individual is and, you know, and have that art of coaching where you figure yep. out how much they can take before they tap out their the max MRV, recoverable yeah. volume but in essence you can design the perfect block in of, inverted commas yeah. of hypertrophy training whereas for Connor and Tom or I'm not sure who what their clientele is that they're working with you mm. and my clientele you would take these principles and adapt it in 100%. the most functional way for each each individual and, that, and that's where the uh undulating periodization model is fantastic Works really like well. i said you yeah. get some strength you get some hypertrophy perfect ticks yeah. the boxes so it's not saying that we you and i don't uh, agree with that i will just chime in there and and say i really love what you do with uh with the the putting several blocks of hypertrophy type programming because you're 100 on the money there and and hypertrophy is a funny thing where and you've probably seen this where and our and our listeners have seen it where we actually built some muscle. It's good on paper. Hey, we've added some muscle. All right, let's start cutting. And we start cutting, and yeah. then all that, boom, it just whoop, it goes it's into thin air. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. So it's sort of, uh, we spoke about the metabolic rate, set point, settling point. It's It seems to be uh, like that with muscle mass as well, where we've got a new set point, but we've got to hold that set point for a while. So your three mesocycles of hypertrophy-focused programming are actually bang on so you add some muscle then you keep it there you mm. keep it there you keep it there then come out of it do a little bit more intensity and then keep it there keep it there keep it like it's it yeah. makes perfect sense to me and and something for our listeners uh, to think about um, extending that block that you're working with the individual because if they come with you for a 16 week hey, I want to work 16 weeks put some muscle on do a cut it's like oh cool well we're going to cut for 16 weeks oh, I said I want to put muscle on well it, it ain't going to happen that quick we might get some body composition change we might change where you're holding muscle stimulate a little here and there but fundamentally if you want to put muscle on the, the period takes much longer and, mm. and anyone that uh, you know is 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 uh, towards their genetic potential will tell you that you know muscle mass can take a can take a long time, time you know yeah. it's a well this was a another, and you get the clients for longer tell yeah. them like eh, no i need you for a minimum eight months to achieve that goal achieve yeah that goal and even then it's it's not optimal it's funny mate because in the um the seminar with uh, christian tomato uh, tippy toes tippy yep. toes sorry my mistake mm. he spoke about all these wonderful methods to build strength and to build muscle mass and and to find ways to break plateaus and keep going and there was a point at the end of the seminar where i actually asked him i said you know tim's where does it get to a point where you where yes. you hit the most you can hit and he actually said for himself now basically at, at uh, <coughs> early 40s mm. that he ba- i forget what the the scale weight was whether was it 219 pounds or is that ridiculous so no, I'm no, just no, it's about 220 so this is 90 90 odd kilos 90 odd, yeah 90 so we'll, we'll say for argument's sake it's 220 pounds so he said basically now let's say he does um, a phase of bodybuilding training with his mate he'll end up being 
220 pounds with uh, bigger delts, bigger biceps, bigger triceps. And his legs, his legs would be a little bit smaller. Let's yeah. say he does a phase where he focuses on his uh, Olympic lifts. Yep. He'll be 220 pounds and he'll have bigger glutes, mm. uh, bigger traps, and thicken out through the quads a little bit. Or mm. and, and it just basically, he at the point where he's done so much training over the yeah. years and done so many things and explored yeah. so many different systems that yeah. unless he's going to do something ridiculous, he's pretty much tapping out his genetic potential yeah. and he's 220 pounds of however much lean mass he is yeah. and, and it just sort of shifts around his body depending on the stimulus he, he yeah. applies. Very interesting. And another thing that I would just add there before we wrap this one up, uh, variation, you know, uh, and, and how long to stay in a phase. You know, think about it Again, if you're strength focused, makes sense to change more frequently. But you know, but and and we've alluded to this, I think, uh, just recently in uh, post uh, tippy toe seminar. But that when that plateau occurs, you know, that that's when you're actually getting some good gains. You know, it's pushing through that plateau mm. when things get really tough and the numbers stop progressing. And that it's not going to happen in two or three weeks. You know, yeah. uh, it's an argument to have these longer mesocycles because I, I think a lot of us change the exercise and change the angle far too frequently. It's like, well, it's probably good for another two two months, three months of actual training that same movement pattern. Yeah, and uh, long. McDonald, love him or hate him, you, you, you argue that he's a pretty switched on guy and um, he's actually a proponent of uh, law, much like back squat, 12 months yeah. to maximize that. You are going to plateau, but you're going to push through that plateau. You're going to, uh, and, and he's suggesting that it takes that long to actually uh, set up the foundation, start adapting to it. Uh, c- capitalize on that hypertrophy that you put on from it then change it change the angle go to a, a low bar go to a box score or whatever but but something to think about for just to for just Connor something is, else to think about yeah but there. think about you know maybe and, and for beginners the reality is I mean 8 week mesocycles they don't need to change I mean it's brand yeah. new to them what, yeah. what, other than being bored and saying hey you keeping know, them I'm, mentally uh, stimulated yeah. mentally stimulated but ch- give them numbers to chase like yep. I think far too uh, premature to change the program uh, because you know it's almost like yeah okay you think about it okay the first week okay skill second week okay get into a groove third week and this is not for someone that's advanced but third week okay starting to feel this fourth week okay good I'm getting a groove I can start I remember how to squat it which fifth week start add some weight sixth yeah. week okay now I'm, I'm topping out the weight seventh week okay a little bit more okay eighth week maybe deload into a new phase mm. I mean these guys that change three weeks it's like what the hell it's a beginner is like they haven't haven't even had the nervous system adaptation to the actual stimulus and then boom you're changing it like completely and you think about you know the PT toolbox is how many exercises do you have up your sleeve mm. you're going to give them everything in the first phase so a reason not to have tons of exercise in the first program but keep the program there for you know find other ways to motivate them mm. find other ways to, to push them keep them interested but uh, yeah something to think about I think um, variation is is, is a little bit overrated and um, the basics will work for for a long time yep well we started at a certain place and ended up somewhere totally different no, uh, I think that was I think we covered I think we did pretty we well did, that time oh we did alright there I think so um, so Connor and Tom there you have it that's our little spin on the volume intensity and frequency and how you put that together in a program for various people at various mm. stages um, I mean, how long is that how piece long of is string? The piece of string? You know, that's all we can <laughs> exactly. say with that song. But yeah. I, I was fascinated to hear how you did it. I wasn't aware, yeah. and that, that made perfect sense to me. So you um, really are a super coach. <laughs> <laughs> if, any, if anyone else would like to uh, lay some pipe, yes. Um, 
Look, uh, you know, this would suggest that perhaps it's a, an opportunity to stimulate Rawdon and myself into actually mm. delivering some content from time yes. to time. Go to the website, underthebarpodcast.com, click on the speak pipe button, lay your pipe and send it off to us, and uh, we'll do our very best to, uh, to we'll we stretch out that piece of string. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. The second part of Lucid Luke groundskeeper mm. Willie's mm. Uh, wonderful breakdown of the recent mTOR study mm. and he'll be looking at the amino acids mechanical stimuli and supplementation let's move okay. on to amino acids aminos aminos this is one that most of the listeners will leucine I suppose you're going to talk about yeah. but uh, our listeners are pretty savvy I'm pretty sure they're be able to grasp this one yeah basically when you don't have enough amino acids available mTOR just kind of floats around in the cytoplasm of the cell. But when you provide enough amino acids, that translocates up to the surface of the cell. So it, it basically puts it in the right place and switches it on. We all know about leucine, which is quite important in terms of regulating mTOR. And then you obviously need some of those other amino acids there as well as part of the actual building blocks of the muscle tissue. So, I mean, absolutely... You just need the, the amino acid availability. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. This is why you need a minimum intake of protein to maximize yep. your muscle tissue gains. Yep. It also provides some form of energy as well. Yep. But you know that's why if you're in a deficit and you don't have that energy coming in, the importance of protein can't be overstated enough because that's going to be one of those factors that you can directly control without bumping your energy intake too high. You can still stay in a deficit, but you can still positively influence your mTOR signaling yes. by having the availability of amino acids there. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're in a surplus and you've got that energy availability, sure, you still need the protein there, but it's not as important because you get, if you have a minimum amount of availability, plus you've got the energy availability, right. mTOR's going to be stemming along just fine. You know what I mean? So... Um is it just leucine that's um, triggering mTOR? Is it amino acids like in general? Like if we took an amino acid supplement that didn't have leucine, would mTOR be switched on or signaled? Yeah, it would, but that's probably more to do with the stimulation of insulin that goes along with that. Okay, so leucine is the main signaler for mTOR. Okay. There's quite a specific pathway that it that it influences. Um, so if you look at the paper, if you guys uh, happen to actually want to look at this thing. There is a enzyme that's responsible for loading tRNA with leucine. tRNA is involved with basically transcription of DNA into the actual protein. So if you think of DNA as like the recipe, you have a bunch of RNA and RNA basically copies the recipe, brings it to the right place and then translates that recipe and actually builds the protein that the DNA wrote the recipe for. And so that leucine is actually loaded to the tRNA that's building up the protein by a certain enzyme. So it's like specifically leucine that's required to do okay. that. And some of the work done, like it was done by, uh, you know, Lane Norton and the lab over there with those guys a while ago on leucine signaling involved with activating mTOR. And Donald Lehman was his supervisor for that research over at the University of Illinois. Well, I hope he puts it in layman's terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, no, I no mean, excuse. 
So that's like, you know, you, you need this explain. minimum amount of leucine floating around to basically get maximal mTOR stimulation. Okay. And I, and I suppose the other amino acids and minerals need to be there to uh, actually build the, yeah. the contractile protein. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. So you yes, can't yes, just take yes, leucine yes. by itself. Yeah, of pointless. course. Yeah. Of course. So the leucine is specifically what's working on the mTOR, and yep. the other amino acids are the building blocks of the actual muscle fiber. Yeah. When you said at the very start that without the leucine, the mTOR is just floating around the cell. Yeah. Cytoplasm. The cytoplasm. The cytoplasm. So there's like fluid inside the cell, just yep. the general fluid. That's called the cytoplasm. Yep. And it's kind of just floating around there. When you get an availability of amino acids, there's a sort of signaling process that happens, and all of the uh, the mTOR complex kind of translocates to the right spot within the cell to start initiating that process of translating from the DNA and, and right. transcribing everything. And then actually translating that. So transcription okay. is kind of copying that recipe, and yep. then translating is actually producing, the, yeah, yeah, producing the proteins that are written on the recipe. Okay. Yeah. The human body is just an amazing it's crazy, thing. Yeah. 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 Just an amazing thing. Yeah. So I mean, if you think about like you know with uh, glucose transporters like GLUT4, what happens when you get um, when you train real hard is that GLUT4 starts translocating from the inside of the cell yeah. up into the cell wall, yeah. and then it opens up a channel for glucose to come in. That's kind of like a similar process right so uh it just means that mTOR is moving into the spot where it needs to start doing the work yeah and that happens when you've got adequate amino acid availability if yeah. you don't have that it's not going to be in the right spot it can't do its job okay so you would almost say that uh out of all of these factors that we've been through so far that the leucine is almost the most important yeah it's really important i think it all kind of ties Cause, cause can it happen without it it can't happen without it and we're going to get to mechanical factors right. next. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it can happen without it, but it's a it's a really important aspect. And if you're looking to maximize uh, muscle mass, it's like it's up there. You don't yeah. want to neglect yeah. it. But point being that there's a minimum amount required. Yes. So a, a bolus dosing of leucine is not going to make it any better or worse. Yeah, you can stimulate it up to a point, but it's not like you can just eat like 120 grams in one sitting and expect maximal stimulation of mTOR. So it needs to have some kind of spacing. It needs to be a minimum am amount to get the maximum stimulation, and that's probably some. It depends on your body weight, but probably something like I don't know, 25 to 40 grams, depending how massive you are. Talking about total protein. Yep. Yep. Not of, of protein, yeah, not of leucine. Of leucine, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, is like three to six grams of leucine. Yeah, so much. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but obviously, you're trying to look at protein sources that are relatively rich in leucine. Um, some plant sources don't have that much leucine in it, so mm. you might need to eat more of them, or you might need to supplement a little bit, or you might need to look at mixing in other plant sources that have I more think, leucine. I think it's a bump on for uh, the vegos again. Mm. Yeah, like you can certainly do it. It's just a case of you probably even have to just eat more of those like protein-rich plant sources to get the same effect. Whereas if you were eating meat, it's probably like if you think of like the size of a deck of cards in terms of a steak, like that's pretty much how much you need, which is not much, right? Mm. So, yep, um, you'd have to work a lot harder if you were doing plant proteins to get that amount of leucine in the blood. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then I mean, then it usually comes with baggage. You have high carbs or other things like with the protein source. Yeah. You know, it's not just protein. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the leucine is important, and then the the spacing of it is also important because you'll have a. You know, if you're just constantly pulsing leucine like every 45 minutes, whatever it is, some people were like getting this idea like, oh shit, I can just keep drinking. Aminos I can just keep going and drinking aminos all day. Yeah. What probably happens is that you take this ingestion of leucine and, and the other amino acids that go with it in the form of like a you know a real food or a, or a protein shake or something. Yep. You're going to get that spike. You're going to switch on mTOR. It's going to 
whir away and work and, and synthesize protein. Do stuff. That's right, does stuff. And mm. then at some point, it needs to, that's going to kind of ramp down a little bit and it'll be resensitized. It'll be sitting there just waiting to soak up any more amino acids that, that come into the system. Yep. And that might be when you eat again three or four hours later. Uh, however, if you're constantly pulsing these amino acids, it's kind of like how insulin sensitivity works. Yes. If you're constantly stimulating that system, eventually you, the signal's just not going to work as well. Yeah. So I th- there's this refractory period where you can stimulate mTOR and have it work at a really high rate. Then it's got to come back down to baseline and then you stimulate it again. And that's where we get like trying to space out your meals a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so you're probably better off having like three to four to five like whole meals spread out throughout the day rather than like trying to eat one or two really massive meals. Because uh, otherwise you're not going to get that same stimulation of mTOR throughout the day. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. that, and the converse is true. If you had uh, ten meals, it's it's uh, yeah, probably not signals. as effective either because you you know the s- signals just generally weaker. Yeah, it never gets to resensitize itself. Mm. And that's um, we've actually spoken about that uh, training wise, and uh, Doctor yeah. Israel speaks about this too, having that um, lengthy break, and similar yeah. to what I did when I had my um, you know sur- <coughs> surgery, but having that time away from the stimulation that we've all been you know smashing ourselves and, and most of us don't do any uh, you know structured deloads you know we just mm. keep training and training and training but the deloads have that role there but that that significant break and and it resensitizes all, all this anabolic signaling i'm yep. sure that is one of the pathways that 100 percent. and then uh, when you come back you get this newfound uh, you get that newbie growth again which yeah. is essentially what we're all after yeah for sure yep mm. absolutely fascinating okay really good Cool. All right. All right. That's amino acids. Amino acids. Aminos. Squared away. Aminos. Very good. Right. So mechanical stimuli. Stimuli. Okay. Word of the day. Word of the day. Okay. There's kind of two things going on here. So training independent of all of the factors we just spoke about, independent of amino acids, independent of energy availability, resistance training will stimulate mTOR. So okay. that's very important for if you're dieting. Because yes. if you're in an energy deficit, obviously your mTOR stimulation is going to go down a little bit. Yep. But you can still train and maintain your muscle mass because training stimulates mTOR without the need to worry about... Ah, uh, this is what you alluded to before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is probably another mechanism by which if you have some guy who's a little bit overweight and has no previous training experience and he goes on a deficit and he starts training you'll probably still grow muscle yes because it's just so sensitive to that incoming mechanical stimulus yeah and that's going to stimulate mTOR independent of anything else so even if he's not getting enough protein even if he's not eating enough you'll probably still get some muscle growth and and it's coming from this mechanical stimulus from exercise very good so uh, eccentric exercise is one of the big factors involved with that and that's why we tend to see a little bit more muscle growth if you have an eccentric phase as well as a concentric phase okay. uh, when you're lifting a weight um, and there's some interesting study that came up pretty recently where I think they did bicep curls and they had some guys do it with a very quick tempo and they had other guys do it with a two second lowering phase and the two second lowering phase had greater growth at the end of the, the yeah. study. Um, so I don't think it speaks too much to necessarily like time and attention or this and that. I think it just comes down to Control. controlling your weight down through that eccentric because that eccentric stress upregulates mTOR uh, quite effectively. Very good. Okay. And I guess on that uh, same point you made there in that energy deficit, you know, for all of our listeners that, that are competitors or work with competitors, this is one of the things that, um, again, uh, Dr. Israel was talking about where you know competitors will 
take their training back a notch when they get close to it. Yeah, I'm just going to not train quite so hard. I'm just going to maintain muscle. Well, you know, you want to still go balls to the wall trying to stimulate as much muscle as you possibly can because you're not going to have the, the the energy or the, the um, you know, the available uh, nutrients to the building blocks, if you will, to maintain, uh, to build new muscle, but you're certainly going to have enough if the signaling is there to maintain the muscle, which would lend itself to what you're actually talking about yeah. there. If the signal's still strong, i.e. you're training really hard still and you haven't changed your training stimulus, the, the, the message to the muscle is still there to yeah. to maintain itself then mm. in that energy deficit. Without that uh, huge amount of protein, um, uh, you can actually still maintain that muscle. So, you know, yes, the process of competition is hard, but you need to really, really dig deep in the end and actually keep driving uh, each session in the gym. You don't want to take the foot off the gas pedal and, uh, and change the training stimulus because, you know, in a very basic... Uh, way of looking at things if you start training differently then the muscle the body will adapt yeah. And, yeah. and lose muscle to to you know whatever stimulus you're applying yes. so yeah quick question uh, for either or both of you with the mechanical stimuli is there a distinction between the form of the mechanical stimuli as in percentage of rm type stuff or? yes is it the load which is mechanical or is it the metabolic kind of mechanical if you know what i mean so we'll create yeah. the scenario of the competitor coming to the show yep. mechanical potential metabolic stress do yes. both drive yeah uh, I, I would say both do bear in mind that we do have research indicating that's like you kind of need to be above 60 percent one rm in general to maximize muscle growth yeah there's been a little bit of research showing that like if you go to failure the load doesn't matter as much yeah but again we're talking about an interaction between the load being at a certain level, the difficulty of the actual sets being at a certain level. So, like, if you're going to use 60%, you better be doing, like, a lot of reps. Yep. Yeah. So you get close to failure. And then it's also total volume. Yes. You know? um, so and frequency as well. Yeah, and training frequency, absolutely. I mean, like, if you think about it, if we really break it down to as simple as it could possibly go, if you don't have any energy available and your body's starving... What's the first thing it's going to do is yeah, get rid of muscle. all the stuff that yeah. is really energy demanding, which is maintaining muscle. Yes. The more muscle you have, the more energy you burn, and it's just it's expensive to to maintain it. So it's going to try and get rid of it. But if you're going, no, 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 we still need it. Like I still need to do bicep curls. I still need to contract against this weight. Yeah. Then it's going to keep it there. And if we think about the eccentric portion of the lifts having a greater impact on the mTOR. Yep then would you sort of think, well, a heavier, a heavier load is going to put more stress on, the, on an eccentric part of the movement. So as there is less available energy coming in through your diet, if you're in a deficit, then the heavier the load might be more appropriate to stimulate mTOR. Look, potentially, but you've still got to look at overall volume. Yeah. Because, like, I don't see a problem with mixing that stuff together. I mean, I think there are some exercises and some parts of training where it should be heavier and it should be focused on just getting maximal tension on that muscle. If you compare a, let's call a, a barbell bench press versus a dumbbell bench press. To me, the barbell bench press is there because we can get really nice and stable. We can get a decent range of motion, not as much as we get on a dumbbell press. Um, and it allows us to safely handle a really heavy load. That's a prime opportunity to load it up and get a really strong eccentric stress on the muscle. Yep. When we go to a dumbbell press, we get more range of motion. It's inherently a less stable exercise, so you're not going to use as much weight. Yep. That's an opportunity then to load up the volume and to get a lot of metabolite accumulation. Yeah, so you can good. do both things at once, mm. and it still comes down to the, to the amount of volume that you're doing. If the volume is at a certain level and then you are dropping the volume considerably, that is less 
of an adap- adaptive signal to the body. Yep. The volume still needs to be up there. We know volume is the primary driver of growth yeah, in terms of muscle yep. growth. Yes, and strength. because the total amount of with more volume, the total amount of eccentrics, whilst they may not be as stressful yes. for for each rep, exactly, the, the total amount of eccentrics would accumulate and equal more exactly. mTOR activation. Yes. Uh, like, yeah. um, I know where you're going with that. Again, to reference Dr. Isratel, he uh, he likes um, doing more metabolite-type training in the final phase simply uh, because lower energy intake, you know, the chance of injury keeping at high percentages of 1RM, closer to comp, you know, it's, meh, it flies in the, the face of... Um, you know the potential for injury is greatly enhanced mm. when you're in the the final stage of prep with really low energy intake. So he will gravitate towards metabolite training. However, I, I would sort of maintain some sort of intensity and not necessarily uh, go balls deep into a uh, metabolite uh, four week block right at the end. Simply because you know the energy substrate, you know, be glycogen essentially fueling a lot of that uh, training is is not it's there. Not Generally, that's a mm. macronutrient that you're going to bring down. Yep. Um, but then he will argue that it's more uh, you're burning more energy when you're doing the metabolite type training so it's going to have a benefit uh, creating a bigger energy deficit so each has their pros and cons but I guess at the end of the day I think it's uh, there's still a, a certain amount of volume that you're doing and a, and a certain amount of uh, uh, intensity that you're applying uh, in session and mm. you know I think if they're, you're still ticking the boxes of that and still training really hard right at the end then um, you're going to get over the line yeah yeah. just trying to find the uh, magical uh, formula to do everything all at once Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> well, I think it alluded to this uh, androgens that were discussed earlier, mate. That's where you got to go. Yeah. So all I'm taking away from this uh, discussion, Luke, and I androgens. appreciate it. Yeah, yes, yeah. androgens. Androgens, okay. very good. Okay, <laughs> yes. any more on the mechanical stimuli? Yeah, so it's the eccentric contractions, and then some people might have heard of phosphatidic acid. Um, so there's some research that's come out. It's, uh, it's also involved in that uh, mechanical signaling, so... Increases in phosphatidic acid will uh, improve uh, mTOR signaling. Complex one um, signaling, yep. Yeah, so like there's a bunch of enzymes that are involved with it. And I mean, long story short, basically what happens is, or what we think happens is, you do more resistance training, you increase the levels of diacylglycerols in the muscle, and that gets converted to phosphatidic acid, and that has a, a promoting effect on mTOR. Okay. So it still just comes down to training. Training. But, okay. uh, those are kind of the two mechanisms. It's it's mainly the eccentric portion, and then it's this upregulation of phosphatidic acid availability that sort of interacts with mTOR and then uh, increases that. Okay. Um, you know, but it still just comes down to like yeah, train. But yep. I guess the take-home message there with training is that uh, not necessarily going cray cray with the uh, the eccentrics, but um, yeah, making sure those control reps. Yeah. Although, would would that have a, a or or is it um, it's either on or it's off? It's not like. Oh, mTOR's on a little bit with a two-second eccentric, but you do a six-second, it's on really big and I'm going to get lots of growth. It's either on or it's off, yeah? Yeah, like, it's a bit like that, but they've observed a lot of muscle damage, obviously, yes. from like heavy and, and long eccentrics. Yep. But it goes uh, too much the other way, then yeah. Yeah, you know, you can't necessarily equate like a lot of muscle damage to more muscle growth as well. Mm. You know, it's one of those things where if you look at an acute study or a mechanistic study, does that actually mean over three months we're going to build more muscle? Like, who knows? You know? Well, I mean, Brad, in in his uh, his wrap up of those, uh, I know the three that he listed, 
and yeah, acknowledge Brad Schoenfeld is, I guess, one of the guys that doing the, some really good research. I mean, he did, he did say mechanical tension, uh, metabolic stress, the metabolite training, and then also muscular damage as well as being a driver. They think uh, for muscular hypertrophy as well, which you know occurs with the the metabolite and mechanical tension to some degree but slow eccentric pauses in the the stretch position will yeah. elicit more of that um uh, micro tears and natural muscle damage yeah. but uh, they think that that's also a driver of, of hypertrophy but yeah i think so i mean yeah. you got you got the mechanical tension you got the metabolite and then you got like stretch on the muscle and that sort of stuff muscle damage yeah so i mean you can find a way to work all of that stuff into your training yeah. and I think sometimes it's exercise specific like you're never going to have a, a really heavy dumbbell fly it's it's more geared towards getting a stretch, stretch. and yeah. accumulating metabolites metabolite yeah. Yeah. Correct. yeah exactly yeah. it might be a silly question but then what is the actual mechanism that the centric portion activates the mTOR more than a concentric do they actually know that or uh, it's a phosphorylation of something called TSC2 and, and phosphorylation is activation. Yeah, pump. it's activation. Well done, mm. So, essentially, you also get more expression of mTOR at the lysosomal sort of level. So it's just like more mTOR is available. Um, so there's a bit. Of, there's a pathway there. Yep. We'll just trust that it's. There. But it's yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not meaningful unless you're really into the research. Like even to yeah. me, I, like I can under, I understand the names. I recognize the names, but it's kind of meaningless unless. You're involved in researching that particular yep. thing, you know. Okay, yeah. no dramas. If Lukey doesn't get it, I'm I not even going to try. Forget about it. Forget it. Uh, we have to get Dr. Layman in for that. Yes, yeah. yeah, I reckon he'll explain it very nicely. <laughs> right, mechanical stimuli. Are we screwing that one away now? Yeah, that's all done. Okay, right, good. So, so final, and uh, I mean, this is where the magic's got to be. Mm. Supplements. That's a shortcut. Yes. <laughs> That's fifty percent of your success, Tommy. Fifty <laughs> percent. <laughs> you can quote Doctor Israel on that. Right. Supplementation. Okay, so probably one of the biggest ones that I find uh, interesting with this is creatine. Uh-huh. We talked about exercise. Uh, actually, I should have mentioned exercise decreases serum myostatin. So, ah, yeah, I should have mentioned that, but there you go. Um, so, creatine actually augments that that effect. So if you're taking creatine and you're training, that reduction in myostatin, myostatin that's floating around in the serum is actually going to be it's going to be reduced even more. Oh wow! Which means you're opening up, uh, you're kind of taking the brakes off even more to allow mTOR to go ahead and awesome. do its job synthesizing protein. What doesn't creatine do? It's fantastic. I know, man. It's it's awesome. It's good stuff. Yeah. Okay. And if you want to be a real nerd, when you were talking about amino acids, I was actually thinking, oh, well, creatine is technically an amino acid, so yeah. we can do that. No, but we'll save it for the supplementation <laughs> side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, so it's really good. Look, I, I think creatine is just one of those things where you may as well just take it because it's cheap and it's safe and it's probably going to help you in some way. Uh, mm. You know, I would get your grandma on creatine if you could. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just going to help you. Um, but it's definitely got this mechanism involved with muscle protein synthesis and, yeah. and helping mTOR do its job. Uh, glycogen resynthesis as well does yeah. something there too yeah like it, totally it's, yeah. yeah it's it's quite uh, beneficial all around yeah it's, it's replenishing cool. ADP ATP yep yeah exactly you know uh, so it's got a lot of things going for it and probably a lot of different sort of indirect mechanisms that are going to cause more muscle growth so yeah, yeah. And, and for our listeners I'm sure they already know but uh, some 
you know, I might have good uh, creatine stores, you might have poor, so you supplement, you get a great benefit. I supplement it, I don't get as big a benefit. Yes. So it's all uh, But individual. no harm in, in yeah. taking some anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But specifically on the mTOR, it's this, it's the reduction in myostatin via yeah. which the creatine stimulates mTOR. Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. very good. Good. Cool. Um, one of the other supplements that I've been around is called osolic acid, uh, which you probably wouldn't have heard of. It's been studied in a couple of different studies. One where they studied body comp and strength in Korean men with over three years resistance training experience. Okay. They supplemented osolic acid and compa- compared that to placebo. And these dudes had an improvement in body comp and strength compared to their counterparts who did not receive the osolic uh-huh. acid. Is this uh, under another guy's supplement? or uh, I'm not actually it? sure, to be honest. I haven't heard a whole lot about it. I'm aware yeah. of a couple of these studies, but I kind of just went, yeah, I'm going to sit around and wait to see if more comes out. Okay. Like, usually, if you see a supplement company jumping on it, then you yeah. know, like, it's got some potential there. And then you kind of wait for all the research to come out to either refute that or support it. Yeah, it's okay. a little bit like... There's some supplements out there that people probably take, like, let's let's say, like, citrulline malate. Yeah. You'd probably be justified in supplementing with that. Yeah. But for me, I'm probably going to sit around and wait to see if there's a bit more evidence before yeah. I recommend it. Oh, yeah. You know, um, but it's probably got a decent amount of research behind yeah. it. I think arginine's been... Yeah, I'm not a But citrulline, I gather, has got some decent research coming out on it. It's definitely got some decent research, you know, but for me, it's not quite enough yet. So I think it's probably the case with osolic acid as well. Like there's potential, like obviously that study sounded pretty good, yeah. but I'm not going to go out and try and source some osolic acid. And start pushing on the clients. Yeah, and until I've seen more studies. Well, I will, you know, yeah. I don't need research. <laughs> yeah. There's a skerrick of evidence. I mean, does it come in some sort of androgen form? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. A cocktail. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's one of them. Okay. Uh, another one that uh, people may be aware of is HMB, which is a leucine oh, yeah. metabolite. Oh, yes. It is the worst tasting supplement of all gym-based supplements. Oh, really? Arginine's up there. Oh, mate, the HMB. Yeah, wow. nasty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Mm. BCAAs don't taste good. Much worse. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Saying something. Anyway, but let, let's. <laughs> so, if you're willing to choke it down, me, uh, it, taste. Make yeah. a note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bad taste. Okay. HMB. Yeah. Bad taste. So, in rats, HMB increases mTOR expression. Um, it, so, is leucine going to do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, you'd think so, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't really understand if there's going to be much of a distinction between leucine and HMB. I haven't seen any anything comparing the two. Okay. Just that HMB does seem to work to stimulate mTOR. Whether in, at least in, in mice uh, I'm pretty sure they have done some human studies on it but like I don't think it's been particularly fruitful there's just not enough evidence yet yeah uh, it's one of those situations um, you've you've done a phase of HMB I think uh, well, who like, did we hear talk about it Charles Pollock yeah. had some you know anecdotal evidence that large doses okay. of HMB is very we anabolic all, we so all we rushed all out and rushed sure. out and got that I've still got the packet that I bought because it just tastes too bad can't even take it no, no <laughs> can't, can't do it I remember I, I did do it I said there's no way I can take that again and it sat there at the bottom of my uh, drawer for a while and then yeah. one day I was out of amino acids I thought I'll just take some HMB and then yeah. I, I realised why I, I yeah. didn't take this it's so yeah, bad forgotten, mate. Yeah. yeah well yeah. there you go alright um, so we've basically gone through a whole bunch of supplements and creatine's basically the only one that creatine's the one I'd recommend yep. and then I mean if we're talking supplements obviously protein or like amino yeah. acids that's gonna work because they've got amino acids in them yep 
But other than that, I don't think there's much you should really be spending your money on in terms of trying to maximally stimulate mTOR. Uh, I think there was one you mentioned. That, uh, <laughs> we're all going to rush out of here and uh, purchase <laughs> online. Androgen. That's right. I just hope it gets through customs. Yeah, yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers and toes yeah, crossed. This R. Dubois got a blacklisted. <laughs> Mate, they've made custom. a lot out of me, I tell you. they got a, an arsenal there. <laughs> yeah. Drawers and drawers. Yeah. Cupboards full of stuff. Yeah, it's a couple of real jacked customs yeah. officials wandering around the place. Yeah. Yeah. Mofos. Yeah. So you'll see with the supplementation, like there's a big focus on mTOR and like supplementation. So you like you'll see it quite a lot being around in articles and in supplement companies trying to promote that. Yeah. But it comes down like uh, it's like the guys at Renaissance periodization say yeah. like the supplements are going to be sort of maybe yeah. f- like two percent or five yeah. percent or whatever 5% it is of your max. of your results. Yeah. And I think that's true in the case of mTOR as well. You've okay. got to have energy availability. You've yep. got to be stimulating it through training. Yep. You've got to have the requisite protein there. Mm-hmm. And you should have maximal mTOR stimulation. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. As yep. far as supplements go, maybe a bit of creatine, and that should be fine. Okay. But, I mean, even things that are going to increase your, your workload in the, in the gym, you know, like just having enough carbohydrate there. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, um, yep. You know, I like it. Some of the stuff the we basics. spoke about, maybe like citrulline, like maybe increase your endurance a little bit, stuff yep. like that. Uh, just to increase your workload, and that comes down to mechanically stimulation. Yes. Of, but of yes. Anyway. Essentially, I will chime in there, and uh, again, uh, I know I mentioned Dr. Mike Isertel, you know, a lot this. Uh, well, he's a smart man. Yeah, smart man. Mm. But anyway, I was talking about, because uh, you talked about citrulline, um, or, or, you know, you could uh, then suggest uh, beta-alanine, and theoretically, yep. oh, beta-alanine, buffalactic acid, you know, you can train more, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, uh, <laughs> this guy that he was interviewing, Dr. Mike, he, he sort of said, man, some, uh, some <laughs> beta-alanine. He goes, why? He goes, oh, well, well I, can, I can train more, I can do more. He goes, yeah, but what are you actually training for? You want the metabolites. You want to yeah. experience yes. the lactic acid. Exactly. Yeah. Why would you want to do more work than what you have to? It's, yeah. like, it doesn't make sense. Yep. You know, yeah, uh, potentially it. tapping out your recovery and you, you don't get, even get the same metabolite. Yeah, yeah. so you've got to do like twice as much workload to try and uh, get the metabolite. Yeah. So, you know, embrace that uh, for that style of training and um, that signal of uh, mTOR is, is live in that lactic acid world if, yeah. if, if you're doing metabolite That's training. Doing. Yeah. Don't try and make it uh, easier. And at the end of this study, one of the things that I did read in the conclusion, because I just want to read the abstract in the conclusion. Yeah, that's yep, all I that's, do. That's all I need to know. Very wise. Um, all these signals together affect the cellular response. While ultimately clinical trials are required to properly evaluate the effects, they are expensive and sometimes difficult to carry out, and they rattle off you know, how difficult it is to get a lot of uh, yeah. sample males that have been yeah. training for a long period of time that are happy to go on a study for three months and have yeah, all very, their very diet monitored and everything like that. So yeah. once again... In this particular field of hypertrophy research. research, it is not quite an exact science just yet. No, I mean, like, let's be clear. What we All the stuff we talk about just now was mechanistic. And that means that it hasn't sort of been put to the test with a, a structured training and nutrition program in real-life human subjects over a course of, like, 12 weeks. It's yeah. just it hasn't yeah. really happened. Um, so you can talk about mTOR all you like, and theoretically, stimulating it is going to lead to longer-term gains in muscle mass, longer-term accretions in muscle mass. But yeah. if we've learned anything over the years, it's that acute responses do not dictate chronic responses. Yeah. You know, like acute rises in testosterone yeah, or GH to a workout don't yeah. mean s- like squat in terms yeah. of long-term muscle gain. So, yeah. you know... It, bear it all in mind with a grain of salt. It's interesting to look at this stuff because it does give us 
further lines of investigation. Mm. Uh, but again, it's probably something that, like, if a study does come along, it's going to be in a few years' time. It's going to be difficult to get the right people and the funding together. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, getting again, getting to those fundamentals that we do know affect mTOR. That's, I mean, we know that stuff works. You yep. know. Okay. But I mean, it might be the the unicorn of. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? You might never, there might never be a, a, a perfect scenario where you, where you yeah. can actually get a really, really good study and, yeah. you know, for 12, 16, what, six months. I mean, it's it's near impossibility. So yep. you might have to rely on, on the, the mechanism. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You've got to go with the weight of evidence, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what the weight of evidence has for us right now. If something groundbreaking comes out that changes that weight of evidence, then we change our recommendations. But, mm. yeah. um, you know, I think all of those things that we touched on now are not rocket science. It's probably just refreshing to people. Okay, this is why I have to do this stuff rather than just like, oh yeah, everybody says you need to eat enough protein. This is why. And you at least have a bit of reason to do that now. Yep. Yeah. Very good, man. Okay. That was awesome. I I think we... we, uh, Professor Layman's that one. uh, (laughs) (laughs) He'd be very impressed, Luke. Yeah, very good, man. Very good. Thank you. Good. good. Okay, well, let's... um, You know, next time a good study comes up, mate, let's get him back in here. Let's lucid Luke's just the study man. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah, good. Very good. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Well, Thanks no for coming in. We'll, I'll see you back in the club. And uh, yeah, well done, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> a- Androgens. Androgens. It's the process. <laughs>